Good morning. This is your wake-up call. Welcome to China Jedi Talk, where we interview a broad selection of the human race who spawn from different cities, towns, and villages in and around China and across the world to talk about life, business, love, strife, places, faces, different races, attractions, distractions, goals, and aspirations, creating selections, affections, opportunities, and connections, and as always, shining humor, love, and light on Chinese life. May the smile be with you. Can I just say that my questions just like yours are just begun? Can I just say that your questions just like mine are just begun? Cause it was breaking news. Hello listeners and welcome to China Jedi Talk, episode 5, where we meet, chat and get to know various people from around the world. All of which of course have some type of China connection, whether it be actually being from China, living and working in China, doing business with China, or even having visited China as a tourist. Now, we are very privileged um, to have a guest uh, today with us who's based at the moment in the big city of Chengdu in Sichuan province, I believe. And he is studying currently Mandarin at Sichuan University, clever chap, and currently also working as a part-time freelance writer for China Highlights, a China-specific tour company who also publish Chinese culture and travel-related content on their website. He is none other than Mr. Tom, or shall I say Thomas Litchfield. Tom, welcome to China Jedi Talk. Hello there. It's a, it's a pleasure to finally be on uh, China Jedi. I'm a big, big fan. Marvellous. That's really great to hear. It's lovely <laughs> to have you with us today, Tom. And your voice, by the sound of that, sounds so smooth. Oh, <laughs> thank you very much. <laughs> it really does. It's so nice to have some good technological connections now and again, isn't it? Uh, yeah, of course. <laughs> okay, so um, I think first of all, uh, I mentioned that you're currently based in uh, Chengdu. And yep. um, I think really what, what the listeners would like to know, because obviously, clearly, uh, you are a what we call a foreigner. Um, whereabouts um, in the world are you actually from, Tom? Um, so I'm from the UK, from uh, a very small island called Guernsey, um, which is actually closer to France than England. Um, it's very, very beautiful, but very, very small. Mm. Yeah, Guernsey. And, and yeah. I think for anyone out there who doesn't... I mean, I'm from England, of course. Um, I know Guernsey. I've, I've actually never been to Guernsey. But it, it's down... How far is it from the Isles of Scilly, Tom? <laughs> from the Isles of Scilly quite far. It's... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's basically like you you can see the uh the coast of normandy in france and um you know it's, it's only about, probably about a 10 minute flight to get to france um as opposed to an hour-long flight to get to london um so yeah it's quite it's quite an interesting place actually because we we used to speak french we have our own language and stuff like that and over the years um england and france have uh have fought over us yeah that, it, no it really is interesting and we've had um a person on uh, before from Ger- uh, not Guernsey, Jersey. Not, yeah, um, of course. Na- Paul, Paul from Jersey. <laughs> now, now, just explain quickly. Now, Jersey is another island, not so yeah. far away from where you're from, Guernsey, and you have quite a ri- rivalry, correct? Yeah. So, uh, 
the Channel Islands comprises of about six or seven islands, um, most of which are populated. Um, and Guernsey and Jersey are the largest, with Jersey being about a third larger than Guernsey. Um, and we have a, a very strong, strong and fierce rivalry. <laughs> and and I was especially with football. Yeah, right. And I wasn't um, I wasn't joking by um, giving the name of islands called the Isles of Scilly because there are listeners um, some beautiful islands off the south coast of England called the Isles of Scilly. But my geographical knowledge is obviously completely wrong um, in thinking <laughs> that it's near uh, where you, of course, Tom, are from in Guernsey. So Guernsey and Jersey, big rivalry. You said football. Um, I didn't know they had football teams there, did they? Uh, yeah, we do. Actually, Guernsey actually was doing quite well in maybe like division division three or four in the English leagues. We've been um, we've been doing all right. It's just uh, a big struggle for us to get players because um, they all have full time jobs. It's not like England where they can be paid to play. Um, they all have full time jobs, so it's quite a struggle to get them to go over to actually do matches. But um, yeah, we've got we've got quite a strong strong football culture in Guernsey. Um, yeah, wow. every year we have the Marathi, so Guernsey and Jersey play each other. And uh, everyone basically just has a big fight. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and of course, you know, based on that and maybe other things, uh, as you were growing up, uh, Tom, you obviously thought that um, for a part of your life, you'd like to um, fling the coastline of Guernsey and move to other places such as Asia. Um, and of course, uh, what I'd love to ask you now is what actually did bring you um, to China? Because I know you've you didn't start first in Chengdu, did you? You've kind of arrived there recently. So what was the yep. story that actually brought you to Asia in the first place, if it was China first, of course? Um, yeah, sure. Like, uh, I think like most people that end up staying a long time in China, I kind of fell into it. Um, actually, while I was looking for, for some quotes for, for later on in the show, like today earlier, I was looking at my notebook and I found my five-year plan that I'd written from university. <laughs> um, <laughs> And that actually said that I wanted to do a TEFL, move to a South American country, learn Spanish, come back, do a master's and then be an anthropologist. Um, so I'm definitely in a different country, definitely back at <laughs> university, not doing a master's and definitely probably will not be an anthropologist. Um, <laughs> but Tom, Tom, you're an arm, you're an, you say you're an armchair anthropologist. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. What, 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 explain that quickly. Um, well, my, my degree was in anthropology, and like I love the subject. Um, much like if you're an amateur psychologist, if you're you're very interested in psychology, you can be called uh, an armchair psychologist. Right. Okay. So I, I like to think of myself as an armchair anthropologist. <laughs> Brilliant. There you go. But, <laughs> yeah. Carry on. Uh, but anyway, after after university, I, I was looking for work abroad. Um, I've, I've always had an interest in in other countries and, and living abroad. I think my, my life was always, always going to head in that direction. Um, and I, I applied for a job in China and got offered a job in Foshan, um, which is in Guangdong, uh, yeah. just next to Guangzhou, which I'm sure most listeners will be aware of. Um, I spent a year there uh, teaching English as an unqualified teacher and then moved to Zhuhai, where I spent the last three years. Um, and then I've just moved to Chengdu and I've been here for about uh, a month and a half, two months now. Okay, so... When you first came to China to work in Foshan, was that through an actual job, Tom? Um, yeah, it was, it was through this, this lady who, was, who kind of worked as an agent, and she just posted a, a job advert on my university listings. And um, it was all very... It was, it was probably an excellent introduction to China, actually. It all seemed, like, really, really great. Um, it just involved having a, a phone interview with her. Mm. Um, 
And then she was like, right, yeah, that's cool. Just uh, apply for a visa. And I was like, right, okay. <laughs> and um, through the whole process, I never really knew what to expect. I just knew that I was going to go to China. I knew I was probably going to be working in a, a primary school. And I knew that I was possibly going to be speak, uh, teaching science and maths uh, and English. Okay. Uh, which I didn't end up doing. No. But I, I had no idea <laughs> beforehand. Um, so I went through all this process. And right up until just before I moved, actually, I thought, like, oh, no, actually, I'm just going to go there. And she's been, uh, uh, put me through a massive con. Um, <laughs> oh, this, this sounds so unfamiliar. <laughs> <laughs> but it's always full of surprises, isn't it? So, yeah, anyway, I, I flew there and I got picked up from the airport and it turned out there was actually a school and it was all real and I got put into an apartment and uh, I woke up the next day and went to the school and in the afternoon I stood in front of a, a class full of 50 students and taught my first ever lesson. Um, <laughs> there you <laughs> go. Really, an extremely stressful but uh, very fun experience. Uh, brilliant, that's, that's fantastic. And of course, so you stayed there for a year. Then what brought you to Juhai? Because that's where we, of course, uh, got to know each other, isn't it? What brought you to Juhai? Yeah, of course. Well, um, I'd visited Juhai uh, during the year in Foshan. Um, during the year in Foshan, actually, we just really lucked out with the group of people that all uh, kind of arrived out at the same time um, through this lady, through the agent. Um, we had a brilliant year, and we, we really tried our best to kind of travel as much as possible. So we went to many places in Guangdong, um, including Juhai, and Juhai really... Uh, as well as Shenzhen actually really stood out for me as a place that I might like to live in. Mm. Um, at the end of my first year working for the primary school, which I, which I loved, uh, they didn't give us quite the kind of deal on the contract that we would probably hoped for. Right. Uh, so we looked around uh, in Shenzhen and Juhai for jobs and found a job in Young Wing, which I know you're familiar with, and uh, made the move. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was definitely the correct choice. I loved Juhai. Yeah, what what was the reason then that you because you left didn't you to go back to England for a year? What was yeah. the, the the what's the heads up on that choice? You wanted to go back for a bit fighting with the local football team or uh, <laughs> windsurfing on the you know in the British uh, on the British Channel? <laughs> uh, well, I'd, by 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 that point, I'd been living in China for four years, um, and I'd only been home once for a period of maybe two or three weeks. Yeah. Um, I, I love traveling, so any opportunity that I'd get outside of work, I'd just go off to a, you know, a Southeast Asian country, East Asian country, or, or travel within China. Um, you know, at the end of the four years, I kind of realized I've spent a long, long time not being in England, and I think it was probably the right time um, to go back. Um, fortunately, Guernsey's a very good place to go back and save money. It's very easy to get a well-paid job in, in Guernsey, okay. as it's a finance center. And uh, the job yes. pool is not that highly skilled, so um, it's not that competitive. So I went back, uh, worked in finance for a year, um, kind of, you know, saw my family and my friends, travel around England a little bit, had a lovely time. And then, you know, it was also kind of to, to make sure that I actually did want to make a kind of long-term life in China. Mm. Uh, you know, you can kind of get caught up living abroad and... Uh, you can kind of lose maybe what your initial ambitions were. Yeah. Um, so I just wanted to make sure this is actually what I wanted to do. I think that's that's actually a very um, astute idea, I think. Um, I, I'm sure many of us listening to this can can understand that, especially those of us who 
maybe didn't go back to just kind of take a look at everything from a different perspective. Because, of course, what it does do going back, it, it does let you just reassess and actually see if, you know, you are really wanting to go and, as you said, commit um, to living in Asia and family and all that stuff. So, of course, yeah. when you went back to England, um, so I know we kept in touch a little, uh, you were um, biting your nails, weren't you, to get back out to the sunny climes of Asia, hey? Uh, yeah, I was. It was, um, it was a huge adjustment moving back. I mean, like, I, I think it's well known that reverse culture shock is, uh, can be much more travel, uh, challenging than mm. uh, initial culture shock. Um, and especially making the move from, like, you know, uh, quite a modern city like Zhuhai that is very convenient um, <laughs> with lots of options and lots of fun. Uh, to Guernsey, which is you know the town that I'd grown up in, I hadn't lived there for almost ten years. Yeah. Uh, it was it was very it was challenging actually. It took me like a good two or three months to adjust back into it. I could yeah I could definitely imagine. So um, opportunities arose, of course, and and what brought you to Chengdu? Then you, you're doing a, a course, yeah. Yeah. So uh, around two years ago, I decided that I wanted to. Uh, leave teaching for sure and I wanted to study Mandarin um, so I was I was uh, looking around different cities in China and I came to Chengdu for the second time um, and I really kind of fell into a friendship group that uh, I really really liked um, and they're very kind to me and took me out over New Year's Eve a couple of years ago and I woke up on New Year's Day and I was like right well this is it this is the city I want to be in like I, I, I love the city I love the feel of the city um, the first time I actually came here, I uh, um, made like a kind of WeChat moment saying, oh, lovely Chengdu, it's, uh, it's certainly a city to be lived in. And the second time I came here, I was like, right, I'm, I'm definitely going to move here. I, I really do like it. Brilliant. Brilliant. Well, we'll, we'll definitely talk more um, about that shortly. So uh, just quickly on, a, on another note, does the armchair anthropologist have a wife and children or is the armchair armchair anthropologist sitting there nicely on his own <laughs> <laughs> i'm sitting here very happily very nicely on my own <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and uh, all the joys and advantages that brings mr litchfield <laughs> okay so uh, by the way do you speak french uh, uh when yes. i was 16 i could speak conversational french and now i can't speak anything but, I mean, you grew up in Guernsey feeling more British or more French? More British, right? Uh, definitely more British, but um, I definitely have always felt a keen separation from being English. I definitely, like, have a strong kind of mm. identity with Guernsey. Mm. Um, but, yeah, we, we'd, we'd go to France probably just as regularly, if not more regularly, than go to England. Yeah. Uh, it's very easy. We're very close to St. Malo, which is a very beautiful, beautiful town to visit. Um, so we'd visit there quite often, actually. Yeah, indeed. So did you get a lot of, like you know, French baguettes and lots of French kind of style cafes and stuff in uh, Guernsey. Is that something that pops up? The, yeah, we have like, there's a really good French restaurant and we used to have a really good uh, boulangerie. Uh-huh. Um, but, uh, so yeah, the, that, the, the food culture definitely is different than England. You probably hate me for saying this, but I think better, maybe better than England. Um, <laughs> well, well, <laughs> your local pub dish in Guernsey I mean what's that fish chips and snails perhaps or uh... yeah, yeah it's still very British it's still very British we've still got pubs and um, the local pubs in Guernsey are very local it's the kind of place that you know you either walk in and you know everyone is fine or you walk in and, you, and uh, everyone stares at you until you feel awkward enough to leave <laughs> <laughs> well Tom that's good stuff let's uh, I think it's time to talk more about um, 
your profession. So now in Chengdu, and of course you alluded to earlier, you've come over to do um, a course in the Chinese language, Mandarin. Let, let's focus on that first before we go into your, you know, your writing um, that you're doing for China Highlights. So how does that work, Tom? You, you came over here, you pay for this course, and you come and you literally, you're full-time speaking Chinese, learning Chinese every day in Chengdu. Yeah, so there's, there's a number of ways that you can study. Um, you can quite easily get scholarships for a number of organizations in China, um, including, well, they're all governmental, obviously, but uh, there's one called CSC, and you can also get a scholarship through the Confucius Institute, which is the language institute that is uh, all over the world for ah. Chinese learning. Uh, for Chinese learning. Um, I didn't get a scholarship. I didn't apply. Like I was a bit like lackadaisical when I was in Guernsey and quite confident about my saving capabilities, which I, I probably see. shouldn't have been. Um, and also the application process for the one that I could have done, which was CSE, uh, was quite uh, Chinese in that <laughs> bureaucracy surrounding it was quite awkward in that I had to apply for the scholarship uh, between... January and March, but I could only apply for my course from April, and you need to apply for your course before you can apply for the scholarship. Uh, I could, yeah, I could <laughs> so, just, I could just. Hey, Tom, you know, I was. Yeah, sorry to interrupt. I was just trying to book my HSK exam through the yeah. official um, HSK website here, and yeah. um, you know, I, I thought I'd email them, and I haven't heard. It was about six weeks ago now. I've, I've emailed a plethora of different email addresses uh, over a, a you know, space of two weeks, got absolutely nothing back. So, um, yeah. yeah, you do kind of wonder what goes on in the back room of uh, those organisations. They've got the, the front, the face is all up, but whether or not the thing's behind it, propping it up and organising it, I don't know, eh? Yeah, well, exactly. So I'll, I'll take a little bit of time to talk about the application process because there is a huge lack of information surrounding it. So if any, any listeners do want to do it, it's probably quite useful if I, I just yeah. speak about how I did it. Um, but yeah, you know, like, like a lot of things, there's a lot of lack of information. And if I hadn't have had the experience of living in China and knowing how these kind of things work, I'd have probably given up or ended up paying exorbitant fees to an agent or something mm. like that. Um, but actually, it is quite straightforward, relatively straightforward and relatively easy. And if you do want to study um, or do a language course at university in China, you can contact the university directly. Okay. Um, so, for example, Sichuan University is actually a very good university. I think it's in the top top forty um, in in China, and it's definitely the best in Sichuan. Um, so Ivy the, League. The quality of teaching I'm getting is amazing, um, but I didn't need any qualifications to actually come into the course. I just need to do the application, apply for my visa, arrive, and hand over uh, about eighteen thousand quite. Okay. Uh, eighteen thousand RMB. Which is about um, let listeners about yeah one one thousand eight hundred pounds, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, which is extraordinary considering you, that's two semesters. Every um, every morning I have three hours of classes um, and then there are optional classes in the afternoon which I don't tend to take because um, I tend to want to do self-study and uh, and a bit of writing if I have time. Yeah, it's better than sleeping. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's just incredible value. So it's, it's very easy and it's very worthwhile. Um, and I definitely suggest like, if you're going to do it, choose a city that you want to live in. Yeah. Uh, 
because if you do the scholarship, sometimes you can just be placed randomly. So right. if you if you really want to make sure that you, you you're in where you you're where you want to be, uh, you can just apply directly to the university. Um, it basically involved kind of scouring the website and other websites for people's email addresses within the international education department, emailing them, who then sent me the link to their kind of internal like portal for applications. Okay. Uh, and then it's kind of straightforward. You just go through it. Uh, a couple of funny things like you have to scan in documents, which um, is difficult because they don't recognize some of the formats that we use. Um, <laughs> so that kind of stuff still goes on. For example, like my headshot rather than the passport photo, I ended up just because uh, it wouldn't accept with the PDF that I'd used. Um, so I ended up taking a picture, my own picture on <laughs> selfie on my phone of a kind of passport style headshot and that seemed to work <laughs> <laughs> as you do yeah <laughs> um so yeah that's so it's, it, it is quite straightforward um if you want to look at scholarships then you need to uh, look at confucius institute i think now you need to have hsk level four um at least it used to be hsk level three okay um, if you want a confucius scholarship um and if you want a csc scholarship um and that could be a scholarship for any kind of a course at university so it can be a language course or it could be a bachelor's or master's or phd um, and they pay very very well for example if i wanted to do a phd i'd be getting paid um three and a half thousand kwai uh, i'm sorry a, a master's i'd be getting paid three and a half thousand kwai uh, per month just for right. doing the course and they pay for the course um so really it's actually very very good good system that they're offering for us at the moment doing, doing a master's in chinese well, they offer, a lot of Chinese universities offer the courses in English, so you know you can choose. For, one of my classmates actually um, has got a CSE scholarship, so he's doing a year language course where he's, give, he's giving himself a year to get up to HSK level five, right? Um, which is extremely yeah, difficult. Yeah. Um, and then he'll be doing his masters in Chinese in in China, but he could have done the masters in English. Okay. Well, good luck to him. I'd like to see how that goes. Um, yeah. 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 Like, impressive if he does it. So, so you you got to Chengdu. Did did they pick you up at the airport or anything? A red carpet for Miss Mr. Litchfield sign above, you know, or anything like that? Escorted by a limousine. What what kind of happened? How was the intake? Uh, um. Well, when they send your invitation letter, you get a. Uh, kind of nice welcome pack that describes all the steps you need to do. It has a map of the university in English. Um, and then they, they, I think they offer like a pickup service. Um, but otherwise, no, not really. It's kind of just get here and yeah. kind of figure it out yourself. Yeah. Okay. Uh, which is which is fine for me. I can see it being more difficult for people. Um, I, you know, I saw a few students that are clearly, you know, fresh off the boat and they look quite stressed in the enrollment process. Um, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> it was very very busy. There were like you know hundreds of foreign students at the university, so it's it can be busy for for that period of time. So so there really are. I mean, how many then foreign students are there in your Sichuan University? Uh, I don't know. I mean, just looking like I mean, it filled out a lecture hall, like a fairly decent sized lecture hall, um, just for the intake for doing the kind of uh, the entrance exam. So when you come here. After you register, you um you do a Chinese exam just so you can get placed in the correct level yeah, yeah. of class. Diagnostic um, exam, yeah. Yeah, and uh, the whole lecture hall was filled out. So I'd say 500, 600. Wow. Uh, yes. And they're all there for at least a semester, yeah? Well, they're not necessarily all language students. Um, for example, the medicine course 
is extremely popular with okay. like Indian students and uh, people from you know, Central Asian countries. Oh, it's, uh, it's, it's very cheap to come here to do a medicine, a medical degree, um, and then go back to your home country, and you can you, some some people can use it, or you just have to do a small qualification to transfer it over to your home country. Well, yeah, well, of course, this would be a, a traditional Chinese medical degree, would it, Tom? Or are we actually saying? I uh, don't know. Biomedicine, uh, Western medicine. How long? Uh, obviously, obviously, there's a huge slant on on Chinese medicine, but um, no, there's. Uh, uh, definitely, definitely, it's uh, biomedicine or Chinese. You know, the Chinese version of Western medicine. H- how long's the course? Uh, I have no idea. It must be at least four, yeah. five, five yeah. years. And it's it, it's in English. No, no, no. Okay, yeah. So yeah, you've got to have the yeah. Because I remember gotta... a doctor um, that used to work with me. He he did his degree in in China in um, in complete Chinese uh, language. So. Yeah, that, well, that's that is amazing, isn't it? It's, uh, yeah, that, very that, impressive. That is the that is a challenge. So, how is your Chinese coming along, Tom? Are, are you um, are you speaking much better than when you first arrived? Have you noticed that? Um, yeah, I'm speaking better than when I first arrived, definitely, and it's it's obviously getting much better. Um, it's very annoying having that ten month gap while I was in England because I went right. from being quite good by the time I was leaving in Zhuhai to you know back to basics again by the time I came back to China. Um, so yeah, I'm probably getting back to or better than the level that I was then. Um, I'd probably say much better actually, because like the grammar that I'm learning and the new words and stuff are obviously much better learning from a classroom than say just talking mm, to people like I yeah, used to. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's 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 good to know. Well, you keep on going at that. That's it's brilliant what you're doing. So well done. Now, um, on the other bits and bobs in your spare mm-hmm. time, of course, you like writing, as I know. Yeah. Um, so you're you're doing some bits and bobbity bob bob bibbly bits for China Highlights, this big tour company. If anyone checks it out, they do lots of articles don't they, in places in China. Yeah, 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 definitely. So I just uh, so as you said, I, I, I like writing. Like um, in Zhuhai, I was, I was doing a bit of writing. Uh, I helped start a website, um, and I'm especially keen on like travel and travel writing. Yeah. Um, and obviously, being a student, I do need some kind of income otherwise I'm going to be struggling quite quickly <laughs> um, so yeah at the moment luckily fortunately I'm comfortable enough to be able to be a little bit picky of the work so I haven't started teaching um, young children again for example okay. and, uh, but what I did do was find um, a nice little gig with China Highlights um, so I haven't done many pieces of them so far but uh, yeah I really enjoy it um, they do a lot of um, I think it's a very good tour company to begin with. I think they're the only tour company in China that guarantees that you will not um, be kind of forced, uh, you know, led into forced shopping and that kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah, well, you mean a, an authentic Chinese tour? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, a pod, that's a pod for another time for sure, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, they do very good tours all over the country. Um, they're, they're particularly particularly wanted a, a writer in Chengdu, so I, I I sent an email and my CV off and uh, started talking to them, and they um, uh, agreed to employ me on a, a freelance basis. So um, yeah, very happy with that. Fantastic. And, and just in, in a nutshell, because you've done a lot of travelling in China um, to different yep. places, where's your favourite place so far? If I had to put you on the spot for that, um, as a tourist, uh, if you're coming as oh, a tourist, as a tourist. Oh, I, that's such a difficult question. Ah, well, we um, like to ask them. We like to ask them. So I tend to like as different as possible. So 
my favorite areas have been western Sichuan. So those are the, the Tibetan areas of Sichuan. Western and northern mm-hmm. Sichuan and southern Gansu are all, and Qinghai, sorry, uh, are all actually used to be Tibet um, back before uh, China unified. Yeah. Um, and Xinjiang. Uh, I mean, I went to Xinjiang last, last year. Xinjiang just blew my mind. Um, totally totally unique place compared to anywhere else I've been before. Yeah, and I, I, I mean, it's the place in the world, I think, I've never been, I'd love to go furthest away from the sea. Um, yeah. In the world. It's like 2,000 miles away from the nearest coast. Uh, yeah. it, it could, it looks like Mars, um, doesn't yeah. it? Uh, really, really, Tom, yeah. It's very dry and arid. Do, do people all carry knives up there, like people say? Is that true? They have them kind of like Mick Dundee swinging from their belt, like mine bigger than yours? Uh, no, I think that's, you can, I mean, you can buy <laughs> knives everywhere, obviously, um, as a tourist, but then you definitely won't get it out of the city that you buy it in. Okay. Uh, and everything's very controlled. Um, you know, they're very strict. You can't even bring a lighter on a train or anything like that. Wow. Um, so no one can travel. Um, I didn't see anyone, I'm assuming that they would hide knife within their clothing if they still followed that culture, but I'm pretty sure that's been stamped out pretty hard. Okay, well... Cutting that aside, let's talk then more about uh, your location. So Chengdu is the place for Mr. Litchfield. Um, You've said before you've been there before you really liked it, went back again. You said you definitely like to live there. Now you're living there. Tell us us a little bit about this this place. How big is it? It's quite big, isn't it? And, um, you know, what's what's there to do what's there to see as a tourist uh, where you'd recommend to go sure so it's a pretty big city in china terms um even in china terms i mean it's, it's got a population of about 14 million um i believe it's growing not the population the, the economy is growing at around you know steady 14 15 percent so it's, it's a rapidly changing city um out of most places that I've been in China, it's probably one of the best for kind of seeing old China mixed with new China. So um, the culture, the, the old cultural traditions here have, have been retained like far better than uh, in most other cities that have seen like rapid growth and change. Mm-hmm. Um, so, for example, if you, if you walk down the street, you know, you can't go more than uh, uh, <laughs> five or ten minutes before like stumbling across a tea house or, or you know, people playing mahjong and, and that kind of stuff. Sure. Um, Tourism-wise, it's obviously a very important city tourism-wise. It's very famous, obviously, for the pandas. Ah, um, yes. Pandas. Yeah. The pandas are awesome. Um, the, the research base that is most accessible from the city centre is, you know, it's only a 20-minute taxi from the city centre, really. Um, is is really lovely actually. It's like it's not like a zoo. You might be quite worried that like a yeah. you know Chinese rehabilitation centre would be a bit like zooey. Um, that's open to the public, but it's not, it's not at all. It's actually very well done. Um, lovely enclosures of the pandas, and you can just kind of see them sitting and munching bamboo or the little ones playing and stuff like that. It's uh, it's awesome. Okay. Um, other than that, uh, tourist wise, there's like uh, quite a few um, old towns around the city. Um, and there's quite a few uh, working temples, which I really like. Um, so one of my f- favorite tourist places I've been to is Dasa Temple, um, which is... Rolls right off the tongue. It's a, it's a working Daoist temple. Okay. 
and um, it's right plonk in the middle between like Chunchilu, which is the main shopping street, and uh, Tai Yuli, which is uh, a new shopping district that is kind of mimicking um, Sanlitan. It's by the same people that did the Sanlitan district in Beijing. Um, right. So both sides of that, ultra modern, there's like an IFS tower, um, all that kind of stuff. So you've got this very old, well-kept temple in the middle of all that. Um, and depending what time you, you go, you know, you've got like people going there and worshipping. So you can walk on the temple um, to the sounds of people actually worshipping, which is lovely. Um, and it has a beautiful, beautiful tea house. Probably one of my favourite tea houses in Chengdu. Tea with no milk. Tea with no milk. Um, the traditional tea in Chengdu is kind of is like green tea uh, with jasmine tea. So like with jasmine flowers. Oh, so mo- molly tea. Yeah. Uh, lovely. Um, so uh, I know you're a man of the of the darkness. You like a bit of nightlife. Um, yeah. Any any spots if someone's in Chengdu or off there, you know, tonight. What what's a good place to head down to that Tom would recommend? Um, so if you're into hedonism and kind of like big Chinese clubs, <laughs> uh, <laughs> then. Chengdu is the place for you. There's there's a ton of them. There's like a, there's a really active uh, nightlife here. Um, one thing I didn't say before is that like the culture here is basically people love relaxing, love eating, and love drinking. So there's there's huge opportunities for nightlife. Um, whether it's just you know sitting down for copious beers and barbecue or going to like a flashy nightclub. Yeah. Um, so yeah, uh, Langkawifong is like the main kind of like clubbing district. Uh, I haven't been there too many times because um my patience with chinese clubs is a little bit exhausted <laughs> <laughs> but uh there is a lot of uh, live music nights and and uh dubstep nights and side tracks okay. and all that going on live music what... tom and what's going on there sure that's a bit more lively isn't it than say maybe G-Mod. yeah live music it's i mean like it's uh it's a big enough city to have like you know loads of little niche bits of music like uh probably any kind of music that you enjoy you can go and find a live version of it i reckon oh, fantastic yeah yeah um and like you're saying food i mean like anything in china they love food um it's so diverse across this massive country i'm sure there's tons of eateries there um what do they have any particular specialities in Chengdu in terms of food wise tom that you've been you know plates been put in front of you and you've had to eat um, yeah, I've had many times I've had to eat things that I'm not comfortable with. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, the, probably, you know, the most famous is Hot Pot, obviously. And it is, ah, yes. it, it's worthy of, uh, you know, Chengdu people's fascination with it. It is an amazing, amazing dish. Um, Chengdu Hot Pot is, uh, I was about to swear then, um, <laughs> it's amazing, <laughs> one of my favourite foods. But it's very hard on your stomach, so it's not something you can eat regularly. Yeah, um, right. You wouldn't want to put it down you before a long flight the next morning then. No, exactly. <laughs> or you would be um, swearing. <laughs> yeah. And uh, unfortunately, locals, you know, we used to live in Guangdong and like uh, Guangdong people are famous for being for eating anything, but... Really, I've been eating things that make me more uncomfortable here far more frequently and often than I have been in Guangdong. So, you know, I've been eating, like, you know, steamed blood and um, with hot pot. They they don't consider it a real hot pot unless there's a ton of offal. So it's like brain and, uh, and duck intestines uh, uh, and, and all that kind of stuff, which I find quite challenging. But um, if you can get over it, the, the feeling of what it is um, uh, is actually uh, quite tasty. So vegetarians, be careful, yeah? If, uh, yeah, exactly. well, my mum's visiting and she's vegetarian. I'm not quite sure what I'm going to do with her. <laughs> well, 
Message from Mrs. Litchfield. Be careful when you put your spoon or chopsticks into the hot pot. Oh, yeah, exactly. Because <laughs> uh, you don't know what's what in the hot pot. Uh, anyway, um, very good, Tom. Let, let's dig more then into um, your China life. China for Kirshan. So, all in all, you've been in China for about coming four to five years, yeah, if, if I hear you correctly. Um, yep. Four to five years. What's been your... Because we've all had challenges wherever we are in life. Um, none more so in places that are far removed from what we've grown up knowing, of course. Um, China being one of them. What's been your biggest challenge, uh, would you say, Tom, um, with your time in China so far? Um, you know, like, uh, I think like everyone, like the language is a big challenge. I'm trying to do my best with that. Yeah. Um, you know, it can just be exceptionally frustrating when you're trying to do a simple task. And uh, even a simple task can be incredibly frustrating here. Um, and then, and then, really, like other biggest challenge is more of a positive challenge than like a complaint. I guess is like kind of making the break from being like an ESL teacher to you know working in business or, or becoming like a professional. Um, that's probably been the biggest challenge. It's quite hard to like get get your nose in and and do something that you know both is enjoyable and, and uh, pays pays the bills. Yeah, indeed. But of course, you know, to all those teachers out there, um, no doubt that there are plenty of professional um, teachers, no doubt, listening to this and of course, um, you know, doing great things um, in China and of course other places. Okay, so the language, yeah, that's that's a big one. You know, I was in a Muslim restaurant the other day and um, what did I say? Oh, I gave her the 18 RMB and it was exactly 18 RMB. So I said, you know, sure about quiet. And then I tried out the old... Uh, which I found out means exactly. So you would say, here is 18 kwai, exactly. And uh-huh. she looked at me like I was talking bing bong dong from planet bong bang wing. <laughs> and when I, when I showed her it on my Pleco dictionary app, um, yeah. she went, ah, oh, and I was like, that's exactly what I just said. <laughs> um, but but maybe, and I think there's something in this, Tom. I don't look Chinese, and I know my wife's Asian. If she yeah. would have said it, it wouldn't have been a problem. I, I do think, you know, we're all um, susceptible to having this kind of unconscious bias uh, when we are when we listen to people, you know. Um, and if if you look foreign, then a, a lot of Chinese, I think, would just naturally unconsciously think that we just don't speak Chinese. Yeah, exactly. Because I mean. To begin with, I'm sure we're all speaking with a terrible accent. Yeah, well, no doubt. <laughs> uh, but yeah, the, the amount of times that like I'll be speaking to someone and then I have to literally say, "Hey, look, I'm I'm speaking Chinese. Um, please try and listen to me. <laughs> yeah, give me some help here." Yeah, and they're like, "Oh, you're speaking Chinese." Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Such a motivator, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, dear, dear, dear. Okay, that's that's good. So, on the flip side. Biggest benefits from being in China? There are plenty. What's been your biggest benefit? Uh, I guess it's kind of linked to my challenge, actually. Um, it's just the, the opportunity and the optimism here, like, mm, uh, is amazing. I love it. Like, uh, just whether it's in terms of like travel, meeting people, um, you know, constantly getting challenged in a way that you know after the challenge is, is rewarding, um, or you know just basically just giving me an interest and, and lots of passion. Like, I, I love the country and um, I'm very passionate about it. Yeah, yeah, good good, good answer. And I mean, there's nothing more than what I like than a bit of a funny moment 
um, of which, of course, there are plenty um, in in uh, China. Um, there's so many differences, wide varying differences um, for comical um, input. Give us a funny moment that we've had in China because uh, we all had them. Um, yeah. One must come to mind. Um, I'm not sure if I've told you this one before, but it's, uh, <laughs> it's related to medicine, so I'm sure you'll enjoy it. But... Um, <laughs> During my during my first year, so I, you know, the, the context is that I couldn't speak any English. I'm still a China baby. I speak any Chinese, so I'm still, still very <laughs> much a China baby. Um, I had like uh, an infection with my um, wisdom teeth that had to be taken out. Mm. So I, I was in massive pain for um, for like a number of days, and eventually I said, like, you know, I sucked up and went to hospital. Um, I had to get a colleague to help me to go to hospital, of course, because I found I have nowhere near the level of language required for that. Sure. Um, anyway, she she came with me to the hospital and it was fine. And the doctor was like, "Oh yeah, no, you just need to get it taken out again. That's fine, no problem." Um, so then we booked an appointment for me to come back and uh, have the tooth removed. Um, so anyway, when I have to come back though, it's uh, it's actually during the busiest time of the school year, everyone's taking exams, and no one can come back with me to have the tooth actually taken out. Oh, no. So I go in, and it's fine. I go in, and the doctor, it's the same doctor, um, or dentist, dentist, doctor, dentist, doctor, and uh, he uh, <laughs> sits me down in a chair, and obviously he can't speak any Chinese. I can't speak... Uh, sorry, he can't speak any English. English. There's an English dentist in in Foshan who uh, doesn't speak Chinese. About to take your wisdom teeth out. This is brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> so um, he's jabbering on at me, and he doesn't have an assistant. And eventually, he just grabs my hand and puts it <laughs> underneath my chin. And so I have to hold my jaw uh, while he gets this huge chisel. Um, he makes an incision in the back of my mouth and then gets this huge chisel and basically hammers my you know, wisdom tooth out of my mouth. Oh. Uh, which was, you know, really, obviously I, uh, my mouth was numb. I couldn't feel any pain, but I could feel, you know, the shocks of being hit <laughs> with the hammer um, and the tooth eventually coming out. And obviously with having the numbing injection in your mouth, you just, you don't know, you can't really feel anything. So yeah. I felt like you'd done the wrong side. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, my first job I wasn't paid that much, so I was, you know, on the bus home, and I was constantly just feeling in my mouth like he's taking the wrong, he's taking the wrong tooth out of my mouth. Um, and I got home, and it was only when I got home and could look in the mirror, and I was like, okay, thank God he's taking the wrong. Oh, tooth. I thought you were about to tell me he took the wrong one out. Oh my dear! Like, like I, I, for a good half an hour, I had that feeling, so it was really an extremely traumatic experience. <laughs> Why, yeah, but he did the job. You did the job. <laughs> and maybe, you know, for all those people out there who end up in a dentist here with little Chinese language, please, please take a friend or a translator of some kind along with you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, the ridiculous thing, when I went back to go and get my stitches out, again, I went back by myself. Um, but when I went back, he had six medical students, two of whom <laughs> who spoke fluent English. <laughs> okay. So, so for the easy part of the procedure, um, I had the most amount of help, which is very, very annoying and very typical of, of being here sometimes, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. So on top of that, Tom, um, any advice, apart from uh, if you're going to a dentist, that your years in China have kind of 
made you uh, realise, you know, that you would kind of pass on any advice you'd pass on to a China newbie or anyone, in fact, actually here um, in China who are um, who are trying to do things here? Uh, yeah, sure. Um, I, I think you have to try and maintain interest in everything. Um, that's what I, I try and do, like to try and see the interest in something rather than say see it as being frustrating or something, something like that. Um, for example, I met a, uh, a an American guy this summer. Um, we met while we were both traveling in, in Guangxi. And he just moved to Hong Kong with his partner, and they're in the restaurant trade. Mm. Um, and they just started um, managing a restaurant in Hong Kong, and they've been doing it for a month, and they found it exceptionally difficult um, in terms of like the cultural challenges. <laughs> they say cultural challenges, said like I just get so angry all the time. And I was like, well, yeah, of course, and it's very easy to get frustrated and angry when you're here. But yeah. if you take the opportunity to try and find interest in it, you know, if you can go home with your friend or your partner and say, like, this happened today, like, uh, this would never happen at home. Um, why do you think it happened? Or, like, you know, it was so funny or, or whatever. I think that's uh, incredibly important for living here. I absolutely agree. Uh, and I think a big tenant of actually what this show, China Jedi, is based on as, as well, Tom, taking these kind of misnomers of life that maybe... Um, would lead to um, an overreaction of anger or something like this and actually breaking it down and, and seeing it from another perspective um, which I always say well, if any to any intrepid traveller I think if you go somewhere that's very different to where you're from if you don't have a sense of humour then don't bother booking your ticket right? Yeah exactly um, <laughs> you have to be very flexible at times and of course it, it's, also, it's, it's also important you know, at times feel angry or, or feel like something is not right um, and, to, and to think about that as well. But, uh, well, if they take the wrong tooth out, for sure. Um, yeah, in, in anthropology, we, we get um, uh, a term called ethnocentrism hammered into us. Um, and I, I think that, uh, thinking about that has been almost invaluable for me living here. It basically means um, ethnocentrism is when you're, when you're viewing another culture from your own culture, like from your own cultural understanding, mm. um, with the lens, of, the lens of your own culture, viewing another culture is, is not often helpful. Nice. Uh, and I mean, on that note, because um, it can get frustrating. I mean, life as a whole can get frustrating, especially with um, you know, lots of different things um, going up and down all the time, as they tend to do, especially at the moment. Um, I always find, you know, with China as well, just flipping on a, a documentary or a history video. Um, there was a great BBC production called uh, The Story of China that was filmed last year, uh, which was really wonderful, Tom. Six-part series. And it, it just brings back the amazing history, the beauty um, mm. of this country and, and, its, and its cultures. Um, you know, going back 2,000 years ago, it really is a, a place of uh, immense, uh, like I say, history, that it's just... If you don't find that interesting, then um, you know it's probably best to uh, to look at um, other other places, right? Well, exactly. I mean, and the wonderful thing about China is such a big and diverse country with such a huge amount of history is that you know you can spend your whole life concentrating on trying to find more about it, and you know at the end of that, you, you know you haven't found out everything by a long shot. No, indeed. Well, as the rabbit hole gets deeper, you get further and further down the rabbit hole, uh, never to resurface again. Okay, marvellous, Tom. That, that's great. Some really, um, really good gold nuggets in there, if I can use 
<laughs> probably were. Um, let's talk now then uh, about um, well about promotion and connection, which of course China Jedi is all about. Yeah, then. So wrapping this up a little bit, Tom. Um, something I wanted to ask earlier. Obviously, you're doing uh, your study, Mandarin, uh, improving in that. You're you're doing what you love to do, writing on the side. What's kind of like your you know your goals and aspirations? Where are you heading? Um, you know, over the next few years, if I may steer you in that direction. Uh, yeah, of course. Um, obviously, my, my most immediate goal is to become uh, fluent in spoken Chinese. And uh, and have a good grasp of written uh, or at least reading uh, reading comprehension. Mm. Um, that's my immediate goal, and then the reason for that is basically I do want to work within some kind of Chinese context, and preferably within the country. Uh, huge interest in kind of cross cultural understanding, um, social welfare, uh, travel. They're all, all big big loves of mine. Mm. Um, so anything that I can work within that kind of context would be lovely. Uh, the other reason to come to Chengdu is that there's, there's really a huge amount of opportunity here so um, I'm also trying to spend this year kind of like scoping out what's going on Fantastic and I mean you know immediately now is there anything you'd like to you know plug and promote from, from your end you did mention um, that you were thinking of developing a, a website or something like this can you shine some light yeah. on that? Yeah, I'd like to do a couple of plugs if you if you indulge oh, me. Oh, <laughs> plug, plug away, plug away. Uh, uh, so, first one is is not related to me, um, but I recently made the switch from smoking cigarettes to vaping, and hey. um, health wise, um, it's just made an unbelievable impact. So, if you are also interested in doing that, I can't recommend the company Los Vapos. Uh, more. Um, they're based in China and they, you know, they only deal with uh, high quality products and it's a uh, far more reasonable price than you'll find in a Chinese vape shop. Um, very, very good stuff. Um, you can add them on WeChat, which is Los Vapos Vape, if you search for that subscription account. Oh, there you go. Los, Vapor, Los Vapors blah, 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 blah. What, Tom? Uh, the subscription account is Los Vapos Vape, so L-O-S-V-A-P-O-S-V-A-P-E. There you go. For all you wannabe give up smokers, there is a bridge to the other side for you. Marvellous. And otherwise, in Juhai, as I know you're aware, I was uh, I helped uh, uh, run a website called nihaojuhai.com. Yes. Um, myself and the owner both now do not live in Juhai, but she, um, Jill, or Jillin, um, has been very kind in keeping the website running, so paying the fees for the website running costs uh, continue to pay them um, and we, we really spent a lot of time and effort uh, putting as much information for newcomers, travellers or people living in Juhai as possible mm. um, so there's a lot of good stuff there so please uh, look at that if you're in Juhai or thinking about going to Juhai Yeah, I will um, second that absolutely, Nihao Juhai N-I-H-A-O Juhai, Z-H-U-H-A-I dot com a um, lot of stuff on there, yeah, thank you Tom great stuff um, and yeah, I'm also dabbling with the idea of starting a website with specific focus on travel in China, um, probably focusing on more kind of like out the way uh, areas, uh, which is slightly less covered and uh, a little bit more difficult to research than uh, the normal place to go in China. So basically the aim would be creating a website that assists people to travel in China and uh, possibly create a tour company out of it. Mm. Um, 
But if you're interested in that and you want to see what I'm doing in Chengdu, you can follow my Instagram, which is armchair underscore anthropologist. Um, and I regularly post, you know, uh, food, cultural things, interesting places I've been, that kind of stuff. Okay, so that's your, your Instagram. That's the best way to get hold of you, yeah? Yeah, and if you, if you don't have Instagram or you don't have a VPN or, or whatever, you can contact me via uh, uh, T. Litchfield on, uh, on WeChat. It's T-L-I-T-C-H-F-I-E-L-D. Great stuff. Say that one more time, Tom. So uh, my WeChat ID is T. Litchfield, which is T-L-I-T-C-H-F-I-E-L-D. There you go. And I suppose if anyone's traveling or up in Chengdu, uh, I would definitely recommend you get in touch with Tom. A fantastic oh, chat. Miss you a lot, Tom. Uh, wish you were still here, uh, but you're not. Um, you go and uh, learn some more Chinese. And, um, and I really look forward to hearing more of your wonderful stories and hopefully see you at some point soon in the future. Have you uh, enjoyed uh, being on today? Oh, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, you're most welcome. This is China Jedi, people. If you enjoy listening to the China Jedi podcast and want to get involved, either by asking a question, expressing your opinion, good or bad, light or dark, or even appearing as a special guest, then get in touch by emailing our team at info at chinajedi.com. That's info at chinajedi.com. May the smile be with you.